Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bantercast episode 28. This is Ben Cohen. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Parker. And today we're going to be speaking with the public speaker and activist, Charles Eisenstein. Um, Charles Eisenstein is the author of several books, including The Ascent of Humanity, Sacred Economics, and The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. Um, Charles is an extremely interesting guy who has uh, a lot to say about the economic system we're living in and how we can transform that into a more human way of living. Um, he recently appeared on Oprah Winfrey's show. He's been featured on many, many prominent podcasts and uh, we're very grateful to have him in the studio today. So uh, listen up, um, some amazing nuggets of wisdom you're going to hear. And um, yeah, thanks very much for listening, everyone. Just saying banter or bands over and over again. There's not such a factual amusing conversation. I'm the Archbishop of Banterbury. You didn't bang up on the opera. Welcome to the Bantercast. Okay. Pain about money. Pain about money. Pain pain about money in transactions. Yeah. Well, yeah, you were you were asking why people are what can you say that again? Why? Why are people so reluctant to pay for something they use every day? Oh yeah. And we're talking about the news specifically, or media in general, uh, because it's not like any other thing that people consume every day where they're reluctant to pay for. I think one one reason is that people feel so beset by the constant, um, mm. like everybody's trying to get take advantage of them. Right. Like no matter what what it is, in the end, it's oh, it's about the money. It's about extracting money right. from me. So I think some some of the resistance around paying for something. It's almost like an opportunity to exercise some control mm. or some sovereignty, and and like people feel indignant when they're made to pay for something that had been free. Right. Like news has been. I mean, I guess you had to pay for newspapers, but television was free. I mean, supported by advertising. Mm. Mm. And then if you go back f- a long time ago, news was free. People talked to each other. Right. So I think there might be a deep-seated indignation about right. the selling off of the world mm. so that you have to pay for things that your ancestors didn't have to pay for and like even to take up space in the world. Right. <clears throat> like you, from a historical context, like I think that it's a funny thing, like music has gone through a, a weird reverse thing where music was almost always something you paid for in a way, like you bought yeah. records. and. And now it just, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting, like, I, I think I'm not in the news business or in the media business, so I kind of look at it from afar, but I, I'm in sort of venture capital and private equity. And I always found it like an, it's a very interesting category of business. One, people are willing to do, people are willing to produce it for free, which is unique. People expect to consume it for nothing. And yet it's probably one of the most consumed products in the world. It's a yeah. very strange... Consume is an interesting word for it, though, because you don't use it up. By right, consuming. you don't use it up. Right. It's not like food. Right, right, yeah, right. So, you absorb so, it. Right, so, so it's like, that might be another reason why people are resistant to paying for it and right. paying for music and paying for films and right. any kind of culture right. because it's not, there's not less of it once you've used it. So it's like, you haven't lost anything. If right. I read your article... Right, it's already been done. Yeah, and, and that's right. why... I think that really a different business model is necessary for that kind of thing mm. because the marginal cost right. is zero. It's zero. So in economics, the natural price for something with a marginal cost of zero <laughs> is yes, exactly. zero. Yes. So if you can't, so there's no natural price right. to pay for it, right. which is why 
media companies, they, they do their best to create some kind of artificial scarcity, right. digital rights management or something like that. Right. Another model would be to, this is what I've experimented with, is to offer it as a gift and say, I can't charge, like the market, there is right. no market There's price. No market price. Mm. So if I can't charge for it, then I'll give it to you right. and you can decide what return gift you want to give, right. which could be nothing, but it could be something. Right. And that is, I think it's, it's actually a much older model right. where, where based on gratitude and not mm. control. Right. Where, yeah, I feel really good about this. Thank you for doing this. I'd like right. to support you. The not NPR because, model. Yeah. Yeah. The community-based Yeah, that's model. right. Yeah. yeah. That's that's what they invoke in their right. fundraising it campaigns. Works every time on me, the guilt. I hear Diane Reem just asking for money and I just... You have to do it. I, yeah. I, I, I listen to NPR almost every day. Mm-hmm. But I, it's the one of the few media companies I'm, pr- I'm happy to pay for. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, we've struggled with it at my website, uh, at the banter, um, in that we... Just actually a lot of it through technological limitations. I would, I actually wanted to start a pay what you want, but we were so limited by the technology at the time when I did it that we mm. couldn't do that. We couldn't have a recurring payment system because I it needed to be recurring and it needed to have all these other kind of elements to the paywall mm. where it was like, look, like just pay, you could pay, I wanted to have it so you could pay a dollar, 10 cents, mm. whatever you wanted. Uh, but it would be your kind of choice to, to to do that. But we could, so we were kind of limited. So I set the price, you know, pretty low. Um, and I remember early on, we just, I'd look at the comment section where we rolled up the paywall and they would say, why would I have to, why should I pay for this? Why, why do, mm-hmm. it, it was a lot of like anger around having yeah. to pay for something because we'd done it for free for so long, but I just couldn't make it so, as a business. It just, if it doesn't sustain itself as a business, it doesn't exist. Yeah. So that's the that's the problem that people find themselves. In. I mean, you know, you create a, a lot of compelling content, um, but you have to, without a means to support yourself, it's not something you can do unless you are born rich, unless you were, if you have some sort, you know, family wealth or you've created money, you, you know, through some other means. So it's I think right. it's a real it's a real challenge for for artists and creators, and it's kind of undervalued in our society as well. Yeah, I don't think there's any uh, easy recipe for how to do that mm. because our current economic system only supports those activities or maybe not mm. only, but generally speaking, it supports those activities that generate more goods and services that can be sold. Mm-hmm. Mm. And if you're doing something that doesn't generate mm. market goods and services that can be sold mm. which means that there has to be some kind of scarcity yeah whether natural or artificial right. then you're not going to make a lot of money at it so so mm. you know what do you do you put some advertising on your site mm. or do you and that, and that that kind of disfigures the website as far right. as i in my opinion right. mm. or do you create like some platinum program or some special <laughs> content or something like that yeah and that doesn't feel right to me either because mm. like I want this I want this to be free. I want people right. I don't want to have to create like artificial exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's why I I do it by gift. Mm-hmm. And and I've explored this a lot because 
like the whole guilting people into it. Yes. Very that doesn't effective. feel right either. No, it doesn't. Right. No. Yeah. I, I, I don't even want that money. Mm. You know, I, I, that's just another way of, of making mm. someone pay by exercising psychological force. How do you feel about a, like the old, like a patronage model? Like, you know, the Medici yeah. style, like if a wealthy family said, you know, Charles, we love your work. Here's the money to do it. Do you yeah, that's the way that? it should work. Yeah. Uh, I do, I do crowd crowdsourced patronage. Right. But yeah, I, I, I mean, a lot of the work that needs to be done the most on this planet now right. is not profitable. <laughs> it's not profitable. So right. it has to be supported by gifts right. of one sort or another. Mm. Yeah. It's a really interesting concept. Um, I, I've, uh, spent some time down in the in the amazon in peru and uh, there's a concept of aini mm-hmm. which is means reciprocity in in uh, quechua and that's kind of stuck with me for quite some time about this need to aini that in aini. chinese means love you in what in chinese <laughs> in means love you aini yeah well aini Mm. Ah, okay. So it's A Y N I. Well, they've carried them a bit. Yeah. If I have a daughter, <laughs> if I have a daughter, be, she'll be called something, probably called Ina or something. Yeah. Well, you already know your son's name. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Michael thinks that I'm going to name my unborn son after me, Michael. Yeah. Well, Mickey. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Mickey Cutlin. Come on, son. <laughs> I'm not sure the wife is. Uh, it's, it's all right, mate. It's yeah. all right. Yeah. We all know his name. But um, yeah, no, it, that that kind of concept has stuck with me for. Uh, a really long time now like this concept of like taking things and giving giving what you can in return you, you know what I mean like even if you can't give you can't give everything you, you've got to give something or like even yeah. just saying thank you. you you know what I mean like I'd let if someone emailed me and said hey like I can't afford a membership I'd say yeah okay don't worry it's on, it's on us hmm. don't worry and if they liked my writing that much that they wanted to pay for it I'd be more than happy to share it for free you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, if you, I also think that if you can afford it, like, I don't like NPR. If you can afford, if you listen to NPR all the time and you can afford to 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 donate, you should mm. absolutely. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, I think there should be a little bit of guilt if you consume something for free, a lot, and not paying for it. Do you do you think that's a useful mechanism at all? That you should have there's some pangs of guilt that you don't pay for it. I feel well, guilty if I stream movies illegally. I, I feel I, bad. I, about I that. ask people to to give whatever makes them feel good, mm. Mm. and I think perhaps guilt could be uh, a signal that mm. there's something out of alignment. Mm. But sometimes people might overgive too, and that wouldn't feel good either. So, so in a in a gift culture, in a functioning mm. gift culture, there are social conventions and cues mm. that help you understand what the best gift is. Hmm. We don't have that so much. Hmm. There's, there's not a lot of a guideline. Give what you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a millionaire, does that mean that I want you to give, you know, a million dollars? Yeah. To, to, no, that not necessarily. That wouldn't feel right either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, maybe a, a, a journey back to a way of being human that's been mostly lost in the dominant culture mm of this planet, mm. the, the, which is the culture, uh, you know, I would journey back to the culture of gift. Right. And, and it's coming up like in so many ways because the burning man, yeah. Burning man or yeah. like the whole concept of universal basic income yeah. mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's arising not only in like kind of left wing idealistic right. circles, but among tech L- people, libertarians. libertarians yeah. yeah. And it's a very, very powerful 
it um, is coherent concept. It's deeply ingrained in our in our like in our sort of evolutionary psychology. I think the idea mm-hmm. of gifting, uh, like the way it bond. I mean, like being coming. You know, I'm I'm Chinese or half Chinese, and it's just a very a very standard way to build relationships with people. Is right. To gift. It's and, gifting. Yeah. And it's very funny because I work with um, a group of a Russian a Russian uh, colleagues. And they had the same kind of culture, and it, we, it brought us very close together. But my American colleagues were like, "This is very awkward." Every every traditional culture right. was a gift culture. Yes, but yeah. in, the, in the West, they found it very uh, sort of Manipul- like you're trying to manipulate it, or something? no? They found it like um, as like deferential, and uh, they like sort of had a negative view of like the mm. overly gifting Eastern way of doing things, where you kind of you kind of compete. To be the more the more generous yeah. is a way to like show that mm. you have no like that you're not armed you know kind of thing to show to show your honesty you kind of overly do the gift thing mm. and it's for Asian people it works amazingly like it just like it just hits you right in your like my, my Chinese internal Chinese soul uh, but for the for my kind of Western colleagues they found it very uncomfortable and they didn't know what to do about it and they, they, it was a very it was like an awkward way to start. A yeah. relationship. I understand. I, I lived. I have uh, three half Chinese sons because I. Lived, oh no way! Yeah, yeah. No. I lived in Taiwan for nine years. You, no way! I'm half Taiwanese. No way! Yeah. In Taipei. Taipei. Get yeah. out of here! Yeah. Wow. So I. I, I <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could talk in Mandarin. Let's do this whole thing in Mandarin. Let's or, do it. You know. I feel a little bit. Maybe Taigi Mai Tong. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I saw firsthand this yeah. gift culture and experienced it to the yeah. point where when I came back after nine years there you were giving everyone gifts well I mean I was like mm. you know we go to a restaurant and mm. like oh yeah I'll pay or right. expect yeah. like d- splitting up the check it's is very uncomfortable completely like that never happens no and but then if, the if question invite, so how does it work well the- that's a good question because because how who does pay the check then well that is a matter of social status yes. and situation yes. so if one of the people is has a high social status, you know, uh-huh. he's the Dong Shi Zhang, you yeah. know, the chairman of the board or yeah. something yeah. like that, then he's going to have to pay. Right. Now, if, if it's, now sometimes there's a question though. Yes. And the, the gift in that case becomes an assertion of dominance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you let somebody else pay, you're saying that their status is higher than yours. Mm. So then you so fight to pay. Yeah, people yeah. actually end up in fisticuffs yeah. over, over who pay. gets to pay if, yeah. if there's some kind of status involved. Yeah. to impress a customer or something mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. like who gets so it there's yeah. like a whole universe of yes of social relations that yes. has it used to be here in the west too mm. yeah we used to be a gift culture also well, I, so because my grandfather was the king of pretending to fight but not paying the bill because he never had any money uh-huh. so he would grab your hand he would put his money in his right in his left pocket but then he would grab your hand with his left hand so he couldn't reach the money <laughs> But he would grab your wrong hand so you could easily reach your uh-huh. It's like this, it's very funny. What do you think happened to our gift culture in the West? Well, it got replaced by the money culture. Right. So the yeah. Uh, one another word for a gift culture um, is a community. Mm. In a community, people take care of each other without necessarily getting paid for it, mm-hmm. and they create right. things in common, such as recreation, mm-hmm. childcare. Mm. Um, even something like insurance. Right. A hundred years ago, like if your house burned down and you were lived in a small town or a village, yeah. all the neighbors would come and help you rebuild. Mm. Mm. Now, 
we don't have that today. Instead, we purchase that right. service mm. and we call it insurance. No one paid for childcare either. Yeah. Which kids all ran around and everyone kind of looked out for them and took care of them and the kids played with each other. Now we pay for childcare. Mm. We didn't pay for play, but now we pay for Little League. We didn't pay for cooking. Mm. People, usually in extended families, would cook mm. for each other, but now we pay supermarket delis to do the cooking. Um, even medicine, a lot of it we didn't pay for. Mm. And you can go, get, go down the line. Um, the adjudication of disputes. Mm. We pay for that through the court system and through lawyers. Right. But there were informal ways of adjudicating disputes, mm. settling conflict. So what we have is a migration of all of these um, social functions mm. into the realm of services. That's very interesting. Yeah. So, so how do you... Okay... How do you go about rectifying that? What what is the is is it just an act of individuals having to <laughs> to decide nope. I'm not going to play that game? You can try, but 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 yeah. if no one else is doing it, then how are you going to do it? I mean, you can do some things, but but the entire infrastructure of life is built around the money economy and its institutions. Mm. Uh, I mean, even the single family home, mm. the the there's just not that many opportunities to give things that people really need because mm. right. they're already sourcing all their needs economically. Mm. So, and I think that this is um, a consequence of our money system mm. because our system only works in the presence of growth and it exerts a relentless pressure right. toward growth because right. Because of the way money's created. So you're, you, you, I don't know this, you're a degrowth activist, basically. That's what it says on my Wikipedia page. I don't know who put that there. <laughs> like, I would not call myself that, except maybe like half jokingly, or right. I don't really see that. I mean, I do believe that economic growth as we know it needs to transition yeah. into other forms of development that are not monetized and quantified. Right. So I, I am. I do believe that, and I believe that we need a money system that allows that because in the current system, if you have a slowdown or a reversal of economic growth, mm. you have unemployment, concentration of wealth, mm. and ultimately a deflationary depression and mm. disaster because mm. – and I, I'm not sure if you want me to go into the mechanics of yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. For I sure. Mean, I mean, the, sure. the, short, the, short, the short version of it is that – we're Money. not promising that we'll understand it. We are dumb, but we're going to try. No, no, it's, it's, it's not complicated. <laughs> I mean, it's simply that yeah. it's because money is created through lending at mm -hmm. interest. Right. So at any given moment, there's always more debt than there is money, right. which puts everyone into competition with each other mm -hmm. for never for enough of it. Right. If more money is not continually lent into existence, then you're going to have bankruptcies. Right. You're going to have defaults. So to avoid that, you have to keep creating new money mm -hmm. to so that people can use that to pay off the debts right. created by the old money. Right. And to like, incentivize investment as opposed to just cash. Well, as long as money loses its value, you are incentivized to put it into things. But if it, if it doesn't, then you're less incentivized. Well, you have to... So, okay, so suppose that I'm the bank mm -hmm. and you guys are the... You two are the yes. economy. Yes. So I create a million dollars, uh -huh. $2 million. I give you guys each a million dollars. Yep. 
there's your loan mm -hmm. and you owe me in a year, mm -hmm. you owe me $1.1 million. Mm -hmm. So now each of you, how are you going to get that 1.1 million? Right. Cause I've just, you're the entire world. There right. is only $2 million in existence. I have to get him into debt. More you're going to have to earn it from him. Right. He's going to have to earn it from you. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to, you're in competition and you're trying to sell stuff to each other. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of a year, one of you can pay me back right. and maybe have some leftover for yourself. Mm -hmm. And the other one, sorry, you're going to go bankrupt. Mm. That won't happen though. If when that year comes, I'm like, you know what? You can't pay me back right now, but I'm going to lend you even more. So you can pay me back. Mm. And maybe the next time, right you'll be able to make money from him. Mm. So we have a situation where everybody needs to make money for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And for me to lend that extra money to you, mm. you have to come up with a good business plan. You have to convince me that you will be able to pay it back. Mm. So what is a good business plan? A good business plan means, you know, there's that village over there that mm. they, you know, and someone's house burns down, mm -hmm. they build it up again themselves. Right. And they take care of each other's kids mm -hmm. and they cook their own food, and they don't even buy culture. Right. They sing their own songs. I have a business idea. Right. I'm going to take all that away from them. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to sell these things back. Right. Bigger and better. Right. And that's right. called an undeveloped market. Right. Do you, have you ever, do you ever read Asterix and Obelix? I have not. I mean, I've seen them. The cartoons? Kid. The cartoons. I the, love the cartoons. The, yeah, there's a brilliant, brilliant um, ep uh, book Asterix and Obelix, where the Romans, this mm. is exactly what the Romans tried to do to break apart the village. They introduced free market capitalism mm -hmm. into this into this ghoulish village. Yeah. Um, and they do it by creating an artificial demand for menis. You know, oh, yeah. menis are those big um, stone carvings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of, the, one of the guys in the Obelix, is a, he carves menis. Yeah. So the Romans say, okay, look, we're going to create an artificial demand. We're going to market menis in Rome. And so, so everybody in the Colosseum wants mm -hmm. to have the, the latest menis. Mm -hmm. So then Obelix becomes the richest man in the village because he's created. And then all the other villages figure out that, hold a second, we can, mm -hmm. we can make loads of money. So they all start setting up their own menis mm -hmm. factories within the village. And it kind of destroys the it destroys the fabric of the village mm -hmm. completely, where mm -hmm. it stops the whole kind of communal living and identity of the. But it was it was it's just really interesting. Like it's a really hilarious kind of um, illustration of how destructive those what we call untapped markets. You know what what we do to these um, different ways of being, different ways of living can be completely yeah. annihilated by. It's called development. Yeah. And it's yeah. not happening because we're bad. Mm. It's right. happening because money exerts pressure, mm. the pressure to generate a return. Mm. So a lot of the damage being done in this world, like mm. in, in so-called third world countries, mm. the development loans, like right. you, you, you lend them $5 billion mm -hmm. and they're going to have to pay back even more. Now, how are they going to do that? Only by developing infrastructure mm -hmm. that allows them to extract natural resources, mm -hmm. and that makes a profit. To, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and and if we don't lend that five billion dollars, here you have institutional investors sitting on all this money. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are pension funds. Yeah. They're requiring mm -hmm. a right. certain return. return. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. the whole system, right. the whole system conspires to convert 
the planet into money. Right. And and like you'd like to find someone to blame for these mm. horrible things. But it's mm. difficult. But even the people who are at the helm of the machine mm. are just fulfilling the functions of the machine. Right. And that's why we need I, I that's why I think that we as we see that this system isn't working. Mm. What what do you mean by it's not working? Well, I mean it's gen, it's it's converting life and nature into money. Mm. So that's and and depleting real wealth because real wealth is relationship. Mm. Real wealth is that's very f- Chinese of you. That's very Taiwanese of you to think. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. it's to feel at home here. Mm. It's to have real security in the world. Mm. If you have a lot of money, you have a substitute for real security. Right. You think, well, I have I have financial security. That means I can pay for anything right. as far as the eye can see. But that security is only, it's only as secure as the financial system. Mm-hmm. What if that falls apart? Or what if mm. something happens to your money? What if it gets stolen? What if right. you have a medical crisis? What if, what if, what if? Mm. It's not real security. But in a community, in a village where you've been taking care of people and being generous your whole life. Mm-hmm. If anything happens to you, people will be generous to you too. Mm. And that is a much deeper form of security mm. that many people long for. Mm-hmm. Secretly. It's like they, Secretly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do, yeah. do you think though there's this kind of utopian sense of the, of the village life, of this community where we look at it as we have this sort of, we look fondly back on a time when communities were smaller and people were closer. Um, but there was a lot of suffering, of course. Like there were, there were many things in, in village life that were very difficult. And yeah. I mean, being gay in a village. You know, being gay in a village. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean more, you know, also more broadly, like the, the argument, the capitalist argument for things like insurance is, you know, it's more, if we centralize it, we can more efficiently, we right. can more efficiently like price uh, and, and like and measure risk and help to de-risk like farmers in India right. or something like that. Right. So, yeah. So I'll, first I'll just say, mm-hmm. just I do think that there's something really precious and valuable that has been lost mm. in, the, in the evolution from tribes and villages mm. to a modern mass society. That doesn't mean that everything was right. perfect. Right. We don't even really know very well what village life was in the absence of pressure from the outside. Yeah. From the outside. Right. And so a lot of the, the dysfunction, mm. we, it's hard to tell. Is that innate to village life or right. is that right. the result of the impact? Right. But yeah, not to say that, that you know, everything was, was utopian right. in the old days. Mm-hmm. Yet there is something precious mm. whose absence we can all feel. Certainly. Now, as far as like the economic argument, mm. yeah, you could say it's definitely more efficient for one person to take care of all 10 kids than mm. for everyone to take care of their own kids. Mm. For It's mm. much more efficient to have the chefs in the supermarket deli. Right. Um, the farmers growing yeah. the potatoes. Right. Than, yeah. Right. So efficiency, though, to even formulate that as a concept mm-hmm. You have to look to the to um, measurable quantities. Mm-hmm. So, economic efficiency, arguably, and 
even this could be debatable, but mm-hmm. but let's just grant the premise that that um, technology and and economic efficiency does allow us to to produce more of the things we can measure right. with less right. effort. Right. But what about the things that we can't measure? When we have a system that's geared around producing more and more of the quantitative, quantitative mm-hmm. we risk depleting life of the qualitative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what's happened. Mm-hmm. We have more square feet of indoor space per capita mm-hmm. than ever before. Mm-hmm. The average home size in America is double what it was in the 1950s. Right. Mm-hmm. But are the buildings more beautiful? No. The buildings are almost unremittingly ugly. Mm-hmm. Drive down the two-lane mm-hmm. thoroughfare and like the self-storage unit is over here and right. the big box store is over there and there's McDonald's. Not a it's single one of these buildings yeah. is beautiful. Even the mm-hmm. homes right. are built for efficiency. Right. And then there's like... Price per square foot. Yeah. yeah. And then there's like some decorations tacked onto it. Mm-hmm. But compared to the to the way buildings used to be built, right. it's just no comparison. True. Look at Baltimore. It's so beautiful. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful cities yeah. in the country. And you can see how wealthy it was, you know, 100 years yeah. ago. And then you can see what's kind of become of it. Right. Yeah. And I think real wealth would be to live among beautiful things mm. that mm. are made in in the mm-hmm. full flush of a person's creativity right. and mastery right you know it's very interesting so this is what i've been thinking about a lot um you know everyone's talking about sort of the the emergence of ai and how it's going to replace all these jobs uh and the one thing that humans are really good at the machines are really bad at is creativity i mean humans are good at that and do you think that like society as it is built around money will start to reward that given like humanity is kind of at a threshold is starting to enter this threshold point where, where machines become hyper efficient. Uh, and you know, and sort of like price for, in, in the in the context of price per square foot, whatever, whatever context you want, uh, like, you know, cost and output. So do you think that human humans are kind of engineering themselves towards a return to a more creative, equitable society, given that machines are so efficient yeah. like, in the capital markets that, that, that could be happening. Yeah. Because we're maybe coming to realize that the things that we thought we wanted and the things that we thought would make us happy mm. are not actually making us happy. Mm. Bigger houses, mm. um, more stuff, um, more calories, right. you know. Right. Uh, and, and what we're craving might be the things that are inherently qualitative mm. and that machines just can't do. Right. How did you come to this place in your life where you thought where you've come you reflected on this and come to this conclusion like what inspired you what brought you to this kind of point well there's different uh different threads yeah different lines that that kind of converged um one of them was in taiwan i mean I just got back from Taiwan, so any mention of Taiwan makes me like super happy. And oh, I just yeah. love I love Taiwan. It's one of That's, the best places ever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the places. Yeah. It's the only place I go where I feel like crying. Me too. Because I'm so grateful that yeah. I'm there. I went to Osun Turoko Gorge. Uh-huh. Um, there's this. I'm not gonna tell anyone where it is. It's my special happy place, and it yeah. will remain secret. But this is one place. It's this beautiful white canyon with this incredible river running through it, and these huge hills with pagodas and like green mm. mountains and mist. It's like. Mm. And every time I go there, I sob. 
yeah. from gratitude, from pure like gratitude, and I just feel clean. So one time I was I went to the National Palace Museum there, yeah, and they have these works of art that are so transcendently beautiful. Gugong, mm. yeah, mm. that like you know the emperor's teapot, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like. Mm. And some of these things are just so exquisite that yeah. you just can't imagine that a human being, I, I don't even yeah. know if, if any humans alive today who could make such things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I realized that's what wealth is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wealth would be like the, the maturation of the human species might be mm. that everybody is exercising that degree of mastery mm. in whatever they're doing. It doesn't have to be handicrafts. It could wow. be... Uh, engineering or something like that it could be something that only exists because of technology like i don't i don't think technology is a bad thing i think that that what technology wants to be <clears throat> is just to provide more and more and more ways for humans to to create in service mm. to a more beautiful world mm. Mm in service like creativity is not just some random thing right. it only makes sense if you're contributing to a story that that is meaningful to you mm. that you believe in and one of the reasons why our technology seems to have gone awry today is that there's really no unifying mm. story or aim that like there's a, there's the old story of conquering nature and and right. the technological paradise right but that isn't really motivating for most of the, like the really brilliant young people I mm. run into. They're not so interested right. in joining the program. Right. They want to go back to the land or they want right. to reconnect with nature. Yeah. Or yeah. build boats, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. or, mm -hmm. or, I mean, for some sure. of them are into tech as well. Right. But in many ways, it, but, tech is a way yeah. to reconnect to some profound truth. I think. I mean, a little, a little, or at least there's that desire. At least that, that desire. Yearning. I mean, yeah. sometimes we we fall flat on our face. I think Facebook was probably initially that, like, let's that build thing. a yeah, yeah. stronger, deeper community. Now it's yeah. like let's suck the data out of everyone. Uh, but sorry, I kind of interrupted you. you. You kind of you went to Taiwan and it kind of in influenced you in some way to kind of think about these things. Well, yeah, I, I, it gave me an appreciation for what wealth could be, mm. and I came also to value materiality more. Like this idea that the problem is that we're too materialistic, I think is the opposite of the problem. I think that it's that we're that we don't invest enough mm. care and reverence to materiality. And this is part of the mythology of 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 Western civilization, which is mm. that our destiny is to rise above nature, mm. that the mind is better than the body that the spirit is better than the flesh, mm -hmm. that the human realm is better than the natural realm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that is a mythology that I think is, has really run its course mm -hmm. and brought disastrous consequences that we're coming to regret. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think we're in a time of the breakdown of our old mythology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm that told us who we are and what the world is. And and what emerging mythologies do you see out there that are A, negative, and B, positive? Yeah, so one thing that happens when a story 
breaks down, when the story of the people breaks mm. down, is that people panic and mm. they grasp for mm. something that can answer those questions. Who are we and why are we here? Mm. And I think that's happened politically in yeah. this country. A generation ago, like everybody knew what America was mm. and why we were here and, and who we are as Americans. Right. We're the land of freedom, bringing right. democracy to the world, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And, and we're the most successful, most advanced country in the mm -hmm. world, and we know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were, say, Native American or black or in a third world country mm -hmm. on the receiving end of some of this stuff, maybe that wasn't such an exciting story. But for the mass mm -hmm. public, right. like, it was almost unquestioned. Yeah, right. Today, that story is in tatters. Mm. You have to go through a lot of self-delusion and mental calisthenics to think that America is the most advanced country bringing freedom and democracy to the world. Mm -hmm. mm. Like you have to willfully blind yourself to a lot. And even if you still maintain that as an ideology, do you really believe it? Mm. I don't even think that the people who profess that necessarily believe. really believe it. Mm. It's more of an identity piece. Mm -hmm. So this, this breakdown of the story causes a desperation that then might lead people to, to grasp onto a fascistic story mm -hmm. or a story of, of make America great again. Right. Mm. And the again is really interesting there. It's like yes. an, an acknowledgement of decline. Right. It's, it, yes. Or even in personal life, if, if you have some kind of... Uh, maybe marital breakdown right? Mm. And, and everything's falling apart. Like then you might, maybe this happened to me once upon a time, <laughs> like, okay, what's the new relationship going to be? Let's, right. let's, let's make it come back again. Right. Right. Getting in shape again. Yeah. Is it right. being out of shape? Right. right. So, so there, there's, I think one of the initial stages of a breakdown of a story mm. of a mythology is denial. Hmm clinging on to what's disappearing mm. after that there's surrender right which is the state of wow i really don't know anymore right so uh, having spent a lot of time in in the east in china and taiwan as well but especially in china the the feeling the sense of china to me reminds me of what people talk about mm -hmm. when they were talking about america at its at its height, right? The growth is unbelievable. The energy is there. The capital is flowing very freely. The, the hope and sense of the future and optimism is there. What's really, the truth is obviously different than the myth, but the myth is very strong in China, that it's China's yep. time. That uh, the story that I heard most was kind of the sense that China actually for most of history, or the East for most of history, has been the dominant culture. And finally, it's back to where it the, the middle, back to where back to the sort of the median state after the West had its fun. Uh -huh. um, and what I think, so where, where that's going to go, I mean, that's debatable, but I think the psychology of that may be appearing to be true in the West has not quite happened yet, but it will eventually. Like eventually some of the most successful companies will be Chinese and some of some things happening will have nothing to do with America. And what impact do you think that will have on people here when, because I still think the, the framework is always, at, you know, what's happening in Asia as it relates to America. 
but soon I think it'll be, oh, this has nothing to do with us. Yeah. And how do you think that's going to affect people psychologically? I think that's another dimension to the breakdown of our collective identity. The world doesn't revolve around us. Right. Yeah. Because it did used to. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that's actually a very good thing. I, I just wonder that maybe America needs to kind of you know, take a the, step back. I mean, the best thing that ever happened to Japan was its defeat in World War II. Right. That, that, and, and Germany as well. They became mm-hmm. the right. two most advanced countries in the world. <laughs> yeah, pretty exactly. peaceful, pretty progressive. It clears away all of the, yeah, it clears away all right. the illusions, Pretense, you know. Yeah. It clears away the arrogance. You can just be a country again. Yeah, you're just like face to face with yourself. Right. Right. I think that, so yeah, it's true that, that China was by far the most advanced country in the world right. up until maybe like the 16th century even. Right. Maybe with the exception of the Roman time. But, mm-hmm. but um, I think though that rather than saying, like I think there's another possibility than one country or one region becomes dominant mm-hmm. again, which is... A communal, like we talked about gift mm-hmm. culture yes. already, that could operate on the level of, of nations and cultures as well. Mm. Understanding that each nation, mm. and I'm, I'm, the reason I'm hesitating now is that nations are to some extent an artificial construct. Yes. That may also become obsolete. Mm-hmm. And hopefully not obsolete because corporate power becomes so great that place becomes irrelevant. Right. Mm-hmm. But obsolete in the sense that bioregional and place-based cultures become more relevant. Right. right. So that's my hesitation there. But but where so but I'll anyway say every nation mm-hmm. understands that it has a unique and important gift to bring to the world. Mm. So the question then becomes not. How do we outcompete everybody else and mm. look out for our interest? Right. But rather, what is the gift that we are supposed to bring to the world? Wow. Imagine. That's so profound. Yeah. Imagine like on, on, even on the personal level, imagine mm-hmm. what it would be like if you went to your high school counselor mm-hmm. and you said, oh, I'm, I love art. Right. And instead of saying, well, you can go into advertising right. and graphic design. Right. The question was instead, well, how can you use that gift to best mm. serve, what, what what's the need mm. in the world that is calling your gift forth? Right. So, every nation that I've been to, and I've been to quite a few, mm-hmm. I does have that. Yeah, I, I sure. always ask, like, what is the gift that this nation brings? Yeah. A lot of times, that gift is a is a product of their history, of the trauma mm. that they went through, mm. and the same is true of people. Mm. Like the the path from separation, mm. from trauma, from mm from oppression the path of healing mm. then becomes a generator of gifts and you in your own lives like some of the hardest experiences you ever have ever had right. became the fuel for yes. your care yes and your right your, your gift yeah in a way your gift right mm. what do you think is the best way given that framework which is very profound what do you think is the best way to discover what it is about you that is that gift that you should be sharing. So, so, and I think again, this you could translate this to a national mm-hmm. political level. Yeah. But the first thing would be to demolish the pretenses about 
or the illusions mm -hmm. about who you are and why you're here. Mm -hmm. These have been handed to us by a society mm -hmm. that is no longer in alignment with who we really are and who we really want to be. Mm -hmm. And it's tied up in our psychology too, our self-esteem. Right. What are some of these pretenses? Um, well, I mean, like, the, like, for example, the conception of success mm. that we have. Uh, the conception of a good person. Right. So it's very important mm. for many of us to look like we're a good person. Yes. Mm. And to put on a show to, yeah. that, that, to oneself and others mm. that I am ethical. Mm. that I am responsible, mm. that I am this, that I am that. To the extent that we're motivated to uphold that image, right. we're going to be ignorant of the actual purpose that we're here. Mm. So that's, that's one, one step. Try to give that up is what you're saying. Give up the... Well, to be aware be of aware. that, like yeah. trying to give it up... It's very hard. My Asian yeah. programming is very difficult to defeat. Yeah. That, that's extreme like we talk about pretense cultural pretense the need well not even just to appear but to be you know a dutiful honorable right. son family member you know partner whatever that's it's very deeply ingrained in, in my actions that mm. it's sometimes it's hard to even only kind of through meditation do you like began to kind of like peel back the layer of yes oh, this is like all just well in a healthy nonsense. culture yeah. in a healthy culture the um, cultural suggestion of how to be human mm. is likely to align and not be opposed to your role and purpose and mm. reason for being here in the world. Mm. But we are not living in a healthy culture. Mm. So what the, how the culture tells us to be mm. is often in conflict with why the reason for being here. I mean, just as simple as Where's the money? Right. What What is rewarded financially? What's rewarded with economic security? Mm. Is that why you're here? Right. Are you here to market toothpaste? Right. Are you here? That's to, your gift to the world. To build brands? Are you here? Like, what are you here for? Shareholder mm. value. Yeah. Mm. And this is a key moment in many people's evolution, where mm. where you have, I had this happen to me when I was in Taiwan, actually mm. doing translation for uh, some company, and I was in a meeting looking around. I'm like. Like, hold on, you guys actually think this is important? Right. You actually care about this? Yeah. The, your software products, market share compared to, like, right. I'm only pretending to care about it. Right. Because you're paying me, but right. I don't really care about it. Right. Mm. So I had this moment of feeling superior right. and cynical. Right. Yeah. But underneath cynicism is always a wound. Mm. And my next feeling was a kind of panic mm. with the words, do I ever get to do something I really care about? Mm. Do I ever get to live my life and not the life I'm paid to mm. live? And so in, in a culture that is mm. not healthy, that kind of crisis, which we sometimes call a midlife crisis, mm. for me it happened early, luckily. That kind of crisis is very common. How old were you when you had that kind of crisis? Maybe 26. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a similar, I had a very similar Early, uh, pretty early, actually, in my early twenties, when I was at a job I just didn't like, and I just thought, mm. I don't understand why. I can't. Surely, I can't be here for this. I had the same thing. I was in a hospital from exhaustion. First company I started, and I started laughing hysterically because I thought, 
wow, this thing that I really hate, it's completely trivial, is going to kill me. That's just, like, I can't believe this PowerPoint presentation is going to kill me. Like, of all the things that could yeah. kill me, all the cool ways to die. It's PowerPoint like, presentation. He died working on, like, some, you know, like, really bullshit. I mean, you could have gotten eaten by a tiger. I could have, yeah, exactly. Like, in the lore of all these yeah. great people, you know, like, it's like the, 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 the useless report that was going to go into the trash. Yeah. The thing that did, that did it mean, like, on his tombstone. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very important. But yeah, it, yeah. it's quite an it's quite an amazing thing when you do realize that you can mm-hmm. do something. You can mm. the realization is very powerful. Yeah, like even if you have that realization and you have no clue mm. why you're here, right? At least you're the right at question. least accepting yeah. that there is a reason why I'm here. Right. Yeah. And this isn't it, right. but there is one. Right. Mm. And what is that? That that unease yeah. is. Right. And the search that comes from it mm. is it, it acts almost as a prayer mm. that even if you can't on your own find mm-hmm. what you're here for, it'll kind of come to you. Yeah. And the way it makes itself known is that it it twangs your, your care. Mm. It, it pulls on your care. Right. And then you get involved in something you care about. And mm. yeah, mm. then you know, yeah, this is what I'm here to do. Mm. The first step is acknowledging it, mm-hmm. and then do you think, like I'm sh- like I think there's so many people going through this, this 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 agony of self discovery. Yeah. And what do you think is the next step? I mean, a lot of people say, okay, I'm not happy. I'm not doing a job, or I'm not in a role that I'm happy with. But I have no idea how to find out what I want to do, and how to what do I do? What's the what do I what should I do next? How should I discover the thing that I'm passionate about? I think that journey is really unique to each person. Mm. I don't have a general formula for it, mm-hmm. but basically one thing that might be useful is that is to, is to understand that life doesn't fundamentally have to be a struggle mm. and that it's okay to accept the guidance of the things that you're excited about, trusting that as your understanding of the world broadens, what excites you will change mm. and it may no longer be the success story. Right. Mm. Right. So like we have a guidance system that mm. is not opposed to our biology. Right. We're not our own enemy that we have to overcome in order to find our purpose. Mm-hmm. It's something that will like we have a navigation system built in. Wow. It feels exciting. Right. And then what the thing though is to not become attached to it because what is exciting when you're 25 right. Right. by the time you're 30 might become a prison exactly yes yes I, I also think what you were you're talking about society not we're not a, a healthy society and I think at least for me coming acknowledging understanding that that what I was taught was supposed to be good mm. wasn't that the, the the money and the corporate job and all this kind of stuff is not this this has a destructive effect on your psyche on your society uh, and it's making people sick and that was a big <clears throat> sort of awakening for me when i realized like okay all the things that i've been told that i should want are making me sick mm-hmm. are making me feel like not human i just wanted to feel like a human being you know like for me, it was my, I found solace in martial arts. Like I felt like a person 
for like a human being as a martial artist mm. so I was always drawn to that so I'm like if I could find a way to like make a living out of doing that I, w- I would do that um, so it was quite a powerful kind of but I think kind of giving people the tools that's why I really enjoy reading your work is because I it's kind of you articulate how I feel about the state of the world and 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 the the you know how we view money and how we view interacting with other people that this is we've got it all backwards we've got mm-hmm. the whole thing completely wrong yeah you know that's the creeping realization first you think that there's just maybe one institution mm-hmm. that's wrong it's the music industry or <laughs> it's the, yeah. something and then then you realize that each of them is interlinked with everything else and that mm. the whole thing is wrong everything from literally from birth mm. birthing practices Shit. to death <laughs> right right the 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 old man in the nursing home mm. terrible doing Sad. activities in the activities room and then dying and being put in a lead-lined coffin i mean mm. like the whole thing from birth to death right <laughs> And then, yeah. and then, and then, then you're like, well, there's got to be at least one thing, right, to take right. refuge in right. academia, right. science. That's the one good apple in the barrel. Right. Yeah. Then you eventually you discover, if you keep following this, mm. that there are no good apples in the barrel. That even science in its institutions yeah. is subject to the same maladies that that everything else is. Mm. Yeah, profit, um, jealousy competitiveness yeah you yeah. know so now that we know everything is wrong what what should, what can we do how what do, do you even, do what, 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 what do we even get out of bed i, I, I thought maybe it'd be what do interesting do? to ask what do you Charles, what do you what do you do what do you do, yeah, what do, you, what do, you, do? do you do well so i went through the phase of everything's wrong okay and eventually came to understand all of this as um, a stage in a larger process okay where where it's kind of like um a birth process mm. The fetus grows and grows. Everything's great. And the all-nourishing womb eventually mm. becomes confining mm. and intolerable. Mm. And then the contractions begin. Mm. And there's no way out until the cervix opens. Right. So, This is all very relevant to me, by the way, because my wife is just about to give birth yeah. probably tomorrow or Monday. So all this... Oh, these, little Mickey's coming out. These, no, little not Mickey, but... These analogies are, are yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's resonating very much because I see I've watched this process with my yeah. wife and my child, like yeah. all this stuff that, yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's a metaphor for life. There's well, it is life. Often, so I've been witness to four births now. Mm. Um, I think pretty much every time there's a moment where she thinks I can't do this, mm. and that's when the that's when the birthing mm. takes goes into a new phase a surrender you think it's like yeah um well the pressure becomes so intense yeah it's like like it be, it goes beyond what she thought she could handle mm. yeah and that's a key moment of transition so i think we're kind of on a cultural level reaching such a point mm. where Especially right. if you're into, you know, climate change and stuff like that. Right. But it doesn't oh, yeah. have to be that. It can be anything. It, right. it looks hopeless. Right. The intolerableness of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it there's there's no We're way just out. Driving off a cliff. So society yeah. has to get to the point where all of us have just had enough, is what you think. Or most of us. Yeah. yeah. Like as a collective. Right. Where where we just we can't do this anymore. Right, right, right. 
Because actually, all of the world's problems are extremely simple to solve. Mm. It just if there were common just will. a shift, yeah, it's a shift in consciousness. But this it's is the kind of interesting dynamic you'd be talking about because we were sort of mentioning sort of that everyone has their own gift to share um, and to sort of uh, realize societies put these restrictions on you. And this is sort of a very individualist journey. Like you're kind of alone in figuring all that out. But going back to like cultural programming, I have it's like your individual like needs and desires are the least imp- like your cup is the last to be filled. And I'm still struggling with this myself, so that's why I'm kind of talking out loud. Um, the the training is all in in Taiwan is always the the family, the elder, the whoever their their needs, wants, and desires are the most important. And if you give yourself to the family, they will be you will have a sense of purpose and, and, and whatever, and joy. Um, how do you, how do you blend us like the, a duty to society to make, you know, the world a better place with this individual journey to make yourself happy and to discover mm-hmm. your own gift and to do the things that fulfill yourself. So again, in a healthy society, those two impulses would not be in conflict mm. because if everybody is putting someone else first, mm. then somebody's, someone's, someone's going to be you. putting you first too. <laughs> yeah. so someone's yeah. got your back. Yeah. yeah. And and if you revere and take care of your elders, mm. then if that's true society wide, right. then when you become old, someone's going to so revere and take care of you. Realize the system mm. it works. Yeah. I, I see that my my wife is uh, Latina, her Peru, predominantly Peruvian. Mm. And that's how it works. The, the the elders are greatly, greatly respected and revered. Mm-hmm. And as they get older, there's a whole network of support for them. I mean, you've got to put up with some shit. Yeah. You know, early on, right? I, I'm reading up. a I'm reading a book by Stephen Jenkinson. Okay. Right now, um, wonderful writer, a uh, bit cantankerous, but mm-hmm. um, amazing wordsmith. And he's writing about elderhood, and investigating the question: Why is it? that we have more old people mm-hmm. than ever before, but fewer elders. Mm. Yes. And he's not saying, he's saying, yeah, he's not saying that, that the problem is that we don't respect our elders. Mm. He's saying that they're not commanding elders. respect. They're right. not actually elders. Well, the worst generation ever is now <laughs> starting to age. I mean, the baby boomers yeah. have to be the worst generation ever to live in American history, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I've heard that. Maybe. But, you know, it seems like... The next question would be, well, why, why has that happened? Yes. And are we going to even be worse? <laughs> I hope, I don't know. We yeah. could be, we could be. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm not going to try to lay out his whole right. thesis, right? but it's uh, the reason I mentioned it is that it's not as simple as just deciding we're going to start respecting our elders again. Right. Like the way that elders are. Is, 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 commands, should we command respect. Mm. Yeah, the way that they are today is part, it's like a symptom of something much, much bigger. Yeah. And you, you really can't change that without mm. changing everything else, too. Mm. It's interesting. If you, if you like watch Nelson Mandela yeah. speak, mm. well, obviously he's passed away, but um, that guy commands, he commanded respect. Mm. He was, you know, Africa's elder statesman. Yeah. He was the man mm. in, in, in the whole of Africa. He was the, he was the, state, he was the elder statesman. And, and he was a product of a very rich culture, an extremely rich, interesting culture. Um, and a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering, 
you know, he went through an insane amount of, yeah, you know, grief, children dying, wives dying, friends dying, imprisonment for 27 years. Because to your point, I think that the, the generation before the boomers commanded a lot of respect. I think everyone... Is kind of like, especially like, sort of the millennial and. I mean, ex, I don't know. Like, you don't think so? They, they before the to, boomers. I mean, I mean, the World know. War Two. The, the parents of the boomers, the ones who went to. Well, World those are the II. ones. The parents of the boomers were the ones that in the sixties they were saying, "Don't trust anyone over 30. Right, right, right. Like maybe right. they had a good reason for that too. Right. Like, so this is this is part of a much longer trajectory that that's going back thousands of years. I, I look at, but I look at young people today, and I feel like so much of it is trying to rediscover that generation. Young people are looking for elders to They're respect. They're looking for elders to respect. And they think of, you know, grandpa and he was he was So would you respect somebody who's who's intoxicated with preserving life, mm-hmm. preserving your investments, preserving your lifestyle, making everything safe and secure and trying to extend mm. youth right. as far as possible into old no. age. No. No, the elder is somebody who's let go right. of the ambitions mm. of a young or a middle-aged person. Right, right, correct, yes. Yeah, and and we don't live in a system that encourages that. No, we value youth and yeah. we have this almost... And preservation and, preservation. and control right. yeah. and growth. And growth. Growth is what's good in economics, too, mm. to, to turn back to that. Right. If it's if every left, right, and center, everybody is a fan of economic growth. Right. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Yeah. yeah. More, more, more. More, more, more. Yeah. So in that atmosphere, right. the process of becoming an elder mm. has to go against a very strong tide. Mm. I'm mixing metaphors here. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it's you have to buck the trend, buck the, the it's like a gale force wind mm. of, of security, Mm. Control, preservation, growth, youth, mm. uh, which is uh, n- to not accept decay, not accept death, mm. Right. Uh, mm. and and not accept nature right. in a way. So it's it's this is part of a much larger mm. story mm. of again the, the human desire to conquer, mm. control. It's not necessarily innately human, but it's characteristic of the dominant culture today. Right. And Def- sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, defying nature. You're co- we're constantly trying to defy, defy, na- defy our own biology, which is yeah. which is, uh, it's you know it's like you, we, you look at the kind of politics and and our the president right now is is a kind of living embodiment of someone who just <laughs> raging against everything, raging mm. against every. All of, you know, he's at war with nature and at war with himself, and it's kind of a symbol for our, you know, the society we're in. That's how how I see it. Yeah, I don't know how you, you know, we don't have to go on to Trump. Yeah, it's a whole other topic. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about politics. Yeah, I definitely have some some things to say about politics today mm. that are that I'm not hearing a lot of people saying. Mm. So that's I've I might do a little bit more work in that. Mm. area I, I mean I was writing a book all last year so I didn't really write a lot of mm. articles online mm. but yeah it seems up doesn't it it seems up yeah, yeah. It's, but it's also the one thing we haven't accepted is that we've 
he's a product of us. That he's a, he's, a, right. he's he's a member. Our society gave birth to him. Yeah, it's not like some like like monster right. strolled into the right. into the scene. He right. Came, yeah, yeah. He came we, from it's like he he's he is a manifestation of so many of our values. In a way, I think that it's actually in the long run maybe a good thing mm. because he he makes so much of our dysfunction obvious. It's yeah. exactly if right. It had been totem hard, yeah. for all of our for all yeah. the things that are like ill, sick about right. society. It's like, I mean, he eats fast food every day. It's like it's almost perfect. I mean, uh-huh. Yeah, you couldn't. You literally could not have created <laughs> no. a work uh, like the more out of po- central casting for a yeah. manifestation of all the sickness Rage that we have. Ego and yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's uh. Do you wh- where do you see signs of hope? Well, I mean, I do a lot of my work kind of on the fringes, mm-hmm. so. I see amazing land-based projects, mm. um, water, soil restoration kind mm. of kinds of things. Like people who are who are really developing ways of growing food and relating to land that is of mutual benefit, mm. where the land becomes more biodiverse, the mm. soil becomes thicker, the water table rises. Mm. Kind of the opposite of what we take as normal, like mm. depletion. Mm. Doesn't have to be that way. Mm. We can live in a regenerative relationship to mm. land. And that's so the, the, the projects that are springing up all over the place that are attracting a lot of young people to mm. them. That's one thing that makes me very hopeful. Mm. And I'll just say one other thing. And this might seem a little counter, counterintuitive because when you look on the internet, what you see is more and more hate, more and more polarization, mm-hmm. more and more intolerance, mm-hmm. more and more demonization of the other. Mm-hmm on right and left. Mm -hmm. Mm. But what I'm seeing among like actual people, I don't know if it's my imagination, but it seems like people are becoming nicer. I agree with you. Yeah. More polite, Mm -hmm. more civil, more empathic. Yeah. um, Just more conscious, more evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, I notice it. Like if I go through security at TSA, Mm. like, yeah, More I often the than not, thing. the guy's like friendly. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, in a way that wasn't there before. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. And I and and I watched along this line. I watched uh, the Breakfast Club with with my sons. This is a few years ago. They were uh-huh. in. They were teenagers. What's the Breakfast? Club? It's a movie. It's a movie. Oh yeah, yeah, the Breakfast, yeah. the eighties movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eighties yeah. movie. You know where there's the the representative of each clique. Right. Mm. You know there's. And the my, jock, the nerd, the yeah, the jock, the nerd, the bad guy, the mm-hmm. the the uh, weird girl, you know, mm-hmm. the brain, mm-hmm. and uh, my son was like, yeah, it's not like that anymore. That's so great. And I'm like, but what about bullying? You know, because I had, uh, I mean, I was bullied a lot. There was mm-hmm. all kinds of bullying. It's like, yeah. no, it, like when I was when I was a kid, right. The cool kids, the popular kids, would bully the other kids. Yeah, mm. like they—that's how they asserted dominance. Mm-hmm. And my son Jimmy, his name is, he said, mm. "Yeah, you know, if someone's doing that, we don't like that's not acceptable. We don't tolerate like it. that kid wow. will become unpopular. Wow, because he's not treating other people well. Wow, interesting. And you know, that's this amazing. was not an elite high school. Right. I mean, this was like sixty percent minority, bottom twenty percent of the state high school. Wow, that." maybe things are better in those places than they are in the elite high schools but but that so you ask what gives me hope and it's mm. and it's 
it's basically that underneath the the veneer, mm. underneath the shell, let's mm-hmm. say, of polarization and intolerance and hatred, mm. there is a core that's that's expanding mm. of yeah. empathy, compassion, kindness, and love. Mm. And the shell is getting thinner and thinner. Mm. Right. Maybe it will crack. I saw an interesting program um, of Trump supporters who had voted for him based on immigration, but then had now lost friends after they'd been rounded up by um, immigration enforcement. Hmm. I, I kind of noticed the same thing. I noticed this, yeah. the police, was a police officer and he's like, I voted for Trump and, you know, uh, but my, one of my bodies like was rounded up and deported and like, that's not cool. And I didn't yeah. sign up for that. And so I, yeah, a lot of the anti-immigration stuff, it's, it's kind of a political posture. Yeah. Right. But when push comes to shove, I don't see as much. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and this isn't just me as a white person saying this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've you know had lots of conversations along these mm-hmm. lines that, that, I mean, not to say that there still isn't a lot mm-hmm. of in-your-face right. racist hatred. Mm-hmm. There is. But a lot of people who profess... Mm-hmm. anti-immigration views who voted for Trump don't necessarily carry a very deep-seated racism. It's more of a political identity piece right. that gives expression. A cultural conversation. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And uh, yeah. so you live in North Carolina. Yeah. In Asheville. Mm-hmm. Was there a reason? Is there, Asheville's very interesting place i've read a lot about Asheville when the kind of lots of community projects going on there and it, it, what do you do in your life to kind of embody these is it just your writing do you try to live you know do you live off the land do you uh... my life is not especially uh, uh admirable or i would not offer it as an example to anybody for how to live mm. except to the extent that I'm pretty in touch with my reason for being here mm. uh, and excited about the things that I do and, and feel mm. that I'm, that what I do is aligned with the call of care that comes to me. Mm. So in that respect, um, I have something to say, mm. but you know, I'm living in a semi-urban house driving most places I need to go, buying food at the farmer's market and supermarket. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the matrix just like everybody else is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Not everybody else, but just like most people. Most people, yeah. Are. So Charles, yeah. where can people find uh, more of your writings and uh, see more of the, you've, you've done some interviews with some pretty amazing people as well. Where can people sort of find your work and- uh, The internet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, they can find it on the internet. <laughs> yeah, but where? Where? Let's, do you have a website? Do you have a... CharlesEisenstein.net. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right, that's good. We'll, we'll link to your website and yeah. Facebook and Thank you. whatnot. And yeah, yep. get reading. Absolutely Charles, incredible conversation. F- fascinating guy. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm reflecting a lot. Of, I've been, I'm going through a similar... I'm trying to, yeah, be a, better, be a better person. So this is a very important conversation for me. So I really appreciate it. Charles, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Thank you.